What a remarkable morning, memorable morning. If you ever think, uh, is there hope for the world, uh, you, you should just have one day on my job where you get to hold the babies. And if you get to hold the babies, or if you ever see the people pushing the bye-bye buggy with just a whole uh, group of babies, you have a sense that God's work in our world is not yet finished, that God who began a good work will certainly complete that work. Somebody wrote years ago, more light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure, because one child is born. This is the message of the prophet Isaiah, and as we come to the fourth of these titles, I can't help but wonder, for you, for instance, would you say that you are at peace? I'll leave the larger global situation for a moment and just ask the question, have you found peace? Would you say that you are at peace and As we live in this anxious world, we're reminded one scholar has studied, in fact, a group of scholars came together and said, basically, in the last 6,000 years, we've only had 292 years of peace. It comes out to like one year every 20 years. And during this period, there have been 14,351 wars, 3.64 billion people have been killed. And it made me wonder, what is the price of peace? How much would we be willing to pay to know that there could be peace? Some of you were with us when we went to Israel in the year 2000. We had this colorful guide on one of the two buses. His name was Ilel. And Illel, um, he was a character. Uh, we, some of you remember, he and I had some interesting encounters along the way. And, and as I was visiting with him at one point, we were talking about the land that Israel had acquired through the various wars through the years. And he looked at me and said, I would be willing to give all the land back. And this intrigued me, and I said, So you would be willing to give the land back. Why would you be willing to give the land back? And he said, to know that my children and grandchildren would never have to fight in a war, I would give the land back. For Ilel, peace was worth more than the land. God had a a similar choice to make. Let's think together about it, opening our Bibles again one more time, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. Just what I always needed, this is our Advent guide. You have uh, seven more days in the Advent guide. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, let's stand together in reverence for our God who speaks to us through his word. And just listen to the hope and the promise in these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. The you here is God. God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Please, please be seated. On this uh, fourth day, of Advent, we light the peace candle. We have one more to go on Christmas Eve. We'll not only light that candle, but from that candle, we will light candles all across this room, remembering uh, the Christ who came for us. And as we light the, the peace candle today, we wonder, what is the cost? What is the price of peace? We know that peace is not free. We remember that it is very expensive. And I asked you, what price would you pay for peace? If you look at the situation in Israel when these words were originally written, there were two nations that were trying to force Israel to join them in a battle against a greater foe. And that's the context of the words that the Fisher family shared with us when there was a promise that God would be with them, that a child would be born. But the king, Ahaz, was um, so fickle. He, He couldn't make up his mind. And so in order to purchase peace, he took all the treasures of Israel, all the gold from the temple that was used to worship God, and he gave it as a peace offering to the greater country of Assyria. He tried to buy peace with gold. It was a high price to pay, and the peace that he procured was only temporary because after all, Babylon would rise and would eventually take the southern kingdom of Judah and destroy the temple. In 2 Kings 16, 7 and 8, we see this story. Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, his nickname was Pul, P-U-L, king of Assyria. I'm your servant. He's going to make Israel a servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. God had a better idea. Isaiah had a better idea. Of the four titles 
um, planner of wonders. El Gabor, mighty God, only ever used of God. Father from and of and for eternity. But doesn't he save the best for last? The prince of peace. And even as King Ahaz would have this son, Hezekiah, in whom they would place hopes, out of that lineage would come one who would be born in Bethlehem, a prince who would come during the Roman peace, the Pa Romana, and offer true peace. He saves the best for last. We know Jesus as God's son, but I hope these four weeks have reminded us that Jesus is not only God's son, but he is God the son. God the son, the one who came to bring us peace, and not a moment too soon. The word of the year, by the way, if you haven't heard, and I know different dictionaries choose different ones, but the Collins Dictionary has told us the word of the year for 2022, have you heard it? Permacrisis. This sounds like a word for our times. An extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. Someday these babies whom we dedicated will say, so what was the world like when I was born? And their parents will be able to answer in a word, permacrisis. We lived in this time as uh, the term embodies the dizzying sense of lurching. Anyone feel like we're lurching from one unprecedented event to another as people wonder what new horrors might be around the corner. And if you ever wonder, like if you ever just look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning, or you ever lift your eyes heavenward, or as I did this morning as I passed my place of prayer in, Hershey, in, in the, the bayou there in Hershey Park, and I looked at that place where I have often in these last years sat down to pray, where John Bassanio, by the way, used to sit down and pray. He told me about that place, and a couple years ago I found it again and I prayed there and if you ever stop and say so what is the answer what is the hope Isaiah says there is one who plans wonders there is one who has the power to accomplish them there is one who is an eternal father whose reign will never end and he is the prince who purchased the peace And Addison Leach says it well. Our problem is we want the peace without the prince. And there is no peace apart from the prince of peace. The prince, first, notice this morning, promises us peace. It's it's all in the scripture. Jesus is the prince. Prince of where? Of heaven. So let me just be clear this morning that when we hear the word prince, we think of it as a bit of a diminutive ruler. He's not the real ruler. He's the, he's the uh, apprentice ruler. But in, in heaven, they know Jesus not only as the son of God, but as God the son. And by the way, in heaven today, nobody wonders whether or not he is in charge at the right hand of God seated there, ruling, interceding 
for us. And the question is not whether Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The question is not whether he can bring peace. The question is, is he your prince? Rich Mullins sang so honestly before his untimely death. He, he sang, my heart, is this your heart? He said, surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you, God, for something I don't really want than take what you give and I need. And I've beaten my head against so many walls. Anybody else? Beaten my head against so many walls. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. Would you be my prince of peace? Is that your prayer today? We want peace, God, but we can't have it without the promise. And what kind of peace does he promise? The word is shalom. It is, by the way, not defined by the absence of something negative, like the end of war, for instance. No, shalom is the presence of what is positive. It means not simply psychological ease. Oh, I'm at peace today. It means holistic sense of fulfillment, well-being, flourishing. It's the webbing together of God and humans and all creation in justice and fulfillment and delight. It's what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. And we wait for peace. I know we wait earnestly for peace, like children standing in line waiting for a ride on Ernest the camel this past Wednesday in the night. Whatever happened to Larry the camel? He was so good to us for so many years. And I came by, and all these families were in this line waiting to ride Ernest. I heard from Ernest this week. He's very serious about this. He said he's, his back is a little bit better after Wednesday night. A lot of people rode Ernest the camel. And as we wait, we're wondering, when will this line of waiting end? According to the New York Times, Americans are among the most anxious people on earth. Does that surprise you? Seems like we have more advantages than a lot of other countries. And yet, if you could get a serum level of cortisol in our country and see the reactivity, people are just on the verge. Time Magazine recently devoted its cover story to teenage anxiety, and they, they simply said teenagers are anxious and depressed and overwhelmed. The kids are not all right, was the cover of the magazine. And it talks about all that our children have been through in the post 9-11 generation, an era of economic and national insecurity with great health concerns that dominate the news. And the result for the kids, well, there's a quote from one of the students, and the student said, we're all like little volcanoes about to erupt. That's what one of the students said. That's how they described how life is for them. Why? Because he said, we're the first generation that can't escape our problems at all. We're all like these little volcanoes, just about. We're getting this constant pressure from where? Well, from our, our phones that are always with us, from our relationships, from the way things are today. I thought this week about this movie that's come out called I Heard the Bells. It, it tells the story of the writing of that song by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I had the pleasure of studying history at Baylor 
with one of his descendants, David Longfellow. He was not a poet, but he was a great historian, and uh, he claimed, uh, he called him Uncle H.W. And uh, Henry Wadsworth, in the third verse of that great hymn, said, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Good news today, the God who promises peace can actually provide the peace he promised. So the second thought, the the last thought, the prince provides the peace that we need. So in Isaiah 9, 4, this ruler ends war once and for all. You see it there in verses 4 and 5, and all the garments rolled in blood, and all the war boots will be burned. And then in Isaiah 9, 7, he extends this reign throughout the whole earth. And the people in Isaiah's day, as they watched the demise of their country might have said, so when is this going to happen? And then in Luke chapter 2, angels appear in the sky and sing to shepherds, and they sing, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, says in John 14, 27, this promise, my peace I give unto you. In John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. But don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. So Isaiah looks 700 years into the future, and he longs for that day when a child will be born who can bring peace on earth. And Jesus comes, Galatians says, right on time, on God's standard time, in the fullness of time, he comes because he knows it's time because today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And Jesus ushers in the now, but not yet. And if you ever wonder, when do we live? Well, we live in the now. Christ has come, but in the not yet. He has not yet returned. And how do we find peace in this world? And we discover that God's peace, this pervasive goodness that he wants to bring to the world was very costly. How costly, we might ask? Well, it cost God all of his all. So later in the book of Isaiah, we read in this description in Isaiah chapter 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 53. You know that one, don't you? Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, but we, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Here it is. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How much did it cost for God to bring peace to the world? If you ever wonder what the real price tag for peace was, it's, it's written in the New Testament. Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, when he says, Jesus brings peace on a cross. He ends our alienation from God. He offers reconciliations. In 
Colossians chapter 120 when he says his blood brings us peace. The contours, the shape, the design of peace, it turns out, is cruciform. It has a vertical dimension, peace with God. It has a horizontal dimension, peace with God. Only this week, walking through the park, it occurred to me that the dove, which symbolizes peace, is shaped sometimes very much like a cross with wings spread wide. The, 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 the peace comes down from God and it extends to others. So Jesus says in 1427, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Oh, the prince paid the awful price for our peace. And what are you and I to do about that? Well, we embody that peace. That is, we live it out in our relationships with other people. We put peace into practice. One relationship at a time. We exchange. I was talking in one of the 18 parties that I've attended so far, <laughs> standing on a doorstep with one of our members, and we were just talking about peace in our neighborhoods. And it occurred to me that Henry Nowen was right when he said, when somebody offers you hostility, the response of Christ on the cross, when somebody offers you hostility, is to exchange that hostility for hospitality. Jesus' arms stretched out, embracing the world. I know the world is hostile. There's a lot of anger and anxiety. And in the middle of that, we see the cross. We see the dove. We remember the, the price that Christ paid. And we begin to live life at peace with others. And then we proclaim that peace to the world. I was shocked recently when I heard a, a great world religious leader say, if you ever have to choose between doctrine and peace, he said, always choose peace over doctrine. And yet without sound doctrine, there is no peace. The, the way forward for the church, if I may say, is not doctrinal compromise. Well, anything goes. Just believe whatever you want to believe. As long as we can be at unity, well, it doesn't matter what you believe or what I believe as long as there's peace. No, listen again when he says in Romans 5.1, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And then he says in, in Romans 12.18, he says, um, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I thought about that, that peace bridge that they built over in Northern Ireland the, the, across this little uh, banks of this river on the east bank live uh, the Protestants, on the west bank live the Catholics. They can't even agree on the name of the city. On one side they call it Londonderry. On the other side they swear the name of the city is Derry. They can't even agree on the name of their city and somebody said, what if we build a bridge across this to bring peace, and they built this beautiful uh, serpentine bridge to cross the river as if to say, there can be peace. We'll ride bikes across, we'll walk across, we'll run across so that we can bridge this divide. God's shape of bridge was a cross so that we might have peace with God 
and have peace with one another. And this peace must be proclaimed. If the way forward for us is not doctrinal compromise, then what is the way forward for us? Well, here it is. It's gospel transformation. It's why in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, the the prophet says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings. In Romans 10, 14, and 15, uh, Paul picks this up and he says, how can they call on one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in one of whom they've not heard? Uh, How can they hear without someone preaching? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, and he quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet. Again, in Ephesians 6, this is the armor of God with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Pay careful attention to your shoes. Are your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. Wouldn't peace be good news in our world? I wonder how this might be heard in Ukraine and Russia today. I wonder how this might be heard in Palestine and in Israel today. I wonder how this is heard in Houston today. Proclaim peace, beautiful feet. I'm thankful in the rest of the story by the way, if you want to watch the movie, I Heard the Bells, it's left Houston. But you, you can still catch it in Brenham. It's probably worth the drive, or it'll probably stream next week or something, right? You can watch it sitting on your couch. But that movie tells the story of how during the Civil War, he wrote those words, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong. And he picked up his son who had gone off to war in the Civil War. He picked him up at the train station And he he wrote to a friend of his, Robert Ingersoll, and he said to him, I picked up my son at the train station, and I remembered that you will not be able to pick up your son because he died in the war. And that was when he said, in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. But thankfully, that's not the end of the song because the gospel broke through to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he ended that beautiful song with the final verse that says, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. This and nothing less is our hope. A child was born, he came to proclaim peace. He himself is our peace. And the good news is, if we will receive the prince, we will also receive the peace. Will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the peace that Christ came to bring. I pray, Lord, that when your peace comes our way in this season, we will not miss it. Help us, I pray, Lord, to live in reconciled relationships with each other, made right through the price that Christ paid. And Father, you paid much too high a price for us to continue to live in anger at other people. So I pray, Lord, that you will give us the grace today to release those with whom we are angry so that we can rightly pray, Father, 
forgive us our debts as we also have already forgiven our debtors. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.